0: Welcome to the Wallace Summer Learning Podcast Series. I'm Claudia Demigret, Senior Program Officer at the Wallace Foundation and the host for today's episode. In this series, we'll be delving into an important area of learning and enrichment portfolio at Wallace, summer learning. Um, In today's episode, we'll hear out-of-school-time perspectives about the role partnerships play in coordinating and implementing after-school and summer learning programs. I'm delighted to be joined by Sergio Garcia, Director of Learning Systems at Big Thought in Dallas, Texas. Big Thought is a nonprofit that designs, curates, and delivers high-impact after-school and summer learning programs that cultivate creativity, develop social and emotional learning skills, and empower youth through an asset-based and trauma-informed methodology. I'm also joined by Jessica Gunderson, who was newly named the Co-Director of Partnerships for Children and Youth in California just last week. For over 20 years, PCY has helped people, organizations, and systems work together to educate and support children in under-resourced communities by training program providers, facilitating relationships between schools and community-based organizations, and advocating for effective public policies and resources. here and Jessica, thank you both for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having us and uh, being so forward thinking and investing in summer and children and communities. Yes. Thank you.
0: So before we delve into summer learning partnerships, let's start with the big picture. When I started running summer learning programs more than 25 years ago, we had to do a lot of cajoling, convincing, and cobbling together resources um, all over the place the importance of summer as a time for learning has really solidified over the last few years. Can you both reflect on how it has? this has played out in your communities? I think, Jessica, let's start with you.
1: Sure. At the Partnership for Children and Youth, we've been working on increasing the quality and access of summer learning partnerships since 2009. And at that time, we were running a campaign where we had to approach school districts, and give them money to do summer learning programs. And now we're seeing a major prioritization of summer learning across both education leaders and policymakers, both during and post-pandemic, in terms of public investments increasing a lot, the terms we use, and kind of what program elements we're uplifting um, and prioritizing. So in tracking summer programs in California, which you can find a lot more on our website, the majority of school districts... Over 70%, at least last year, are running summer learning programs versus a traditional summer school. Specifically, they are embedding enrichment and academics and wellness in their programming. So we really no longer have to explain what summer learning is or why it's important, but really how to do it, how to do it well, and how to do it for all kids. Wow.
0: That's uh, that's really terrific. 70%. 70%. I mean, that is really aspirational for, I think, for many of us in the rest of the country. But Sergio, what are you seeing? How is this playing out in Dallas?
2: Summer is now being considered here as an extension of what's happening uh, post-academic, the regular kind of traditional academic year. Um, And at Big Thought, we have what's called the Dallas City of Learning Initiative. And that's been like we're going on six years of this initiative. So prior to COVID, it was still kind of in that nascent stages, but uh, building and we were starting to see the importance of one summer is good, two summers is better for learners to just actually maintain their academic um, standards, right? And so when we're talking about marginalized communities, this is where we really start to see how summer is now an extension of what is happening in academic, uh, in regular academic settings. Um, And then we're taking this approach now a big thought, uh, uh, the whole child, the whole year, and really being mindful of what that means. And so a child is, yes, in school, in fall and spring, but they're also in summer. And so making sure that not only they are being culturally relevant in the programming that is being provided, that their voice is being centered in those decisions when programming is being provided to them. And in that, being socially, emotionally aware and, and providing those skills and those tools necessary not only for youth, but I'm going to be honest with our providers who are doing that too. So starting from them with social emotional foundations and then bringing that to the youth in that same space. And that's been an integral part of how Big Thought and Dallas City Learning has been moving forward through summer and summer learning and engaging the communities and in making sure that not only, like I said, youth have a voice, but communities have a voice in how summer learning is being um, imagined and provided.
0: OST intermediaries are really a special breed of organizations and not necessarily easily understood and quite varied in, in your approaches. Let's just talk a little bit about the role that you play uh, and how, how that looks in each of your communities.
2: Big Thought aims to close the opportunity gap and too many young people grow up in environments that don't, you know, empower them um, or allow them to discover their own greatness. And so we recognize that income and community resources, race and even English proficiency can be barriers on how they imagine success and how they imagine their greatness. And so as i mentioned we keep, continue to center youth in that in, in all of that program delivery and and the engagement that we do and so we aspire to give them the skills and the tools necessary to imagine and create their best lives is what we say and we are creating creators i'm wearing my i'm a creator t-shirt today and it's really about this creator economy that we've been hearing a lot about and how creativity is one of the top skills that um is being looked at through by employers and by higher education and so we can't do it all on our own right big thought can't be doing the only thing out there so we recognize that we need community partners and so we are creating creators through them we are creating creativity and creative moments and opportunities for them all and so that's what big thought is trying to do by closing the opportunity gap and giving the skills and the tools necessary for youth to imagine and create their best lives
0: yeah, what I've always admired about uh, Big Thought is how well you work with uh, municipal, with the school districts and with mm-hmm. the parks department and all of the actors and entities pulling it together and brokering some of those partnerships. Jessica, can you share a little bit more about the partnerships for children and youth and how uh, your work plays out in California?
1: Yeah. At the partnership, we really believe to make positive change at scale. Practice and policy must be interconnected. And the voices of experts, namely students, families, and staff must drive both vision and implementation. So that's what you heard Sergio talking about, right? The voice of students shouldn't just be in daily program. That should be in the capital. That should be um, on the desk of policymakers as they're making these investments. So we work both hand in hand with the field. And we also are working in the state capital um, to really be grounded in both worlds and translate and navigate between them. Being at the intersection of policy and practice gives us this unique ability to understand how the puzzle pieces fit together in really complex systems and act in strategic ways to make positive changes that benefit children, And families across the state and in real time, what we're doing, we're driving and building kind of a user feedback loop to build coherence at all levels from developing and informing what a legislative proposal looks like to what is the nuance of funding um, regulations to What does a model school board policy look like um, around summer learning to what is a daily schedule? So it's really about building this coherence from the the classroom experience, the outdoor education experience we want for our young people to how these programs are funded. Um, And without coherence, you just, you know, Students and staff can fall through the gaps, and too often, um, particularly when there's not enough resources, we default to a low quality. All students deserve the highest level of opportunities to be creative, as Sergio said, and to thrive.
0: Well, hold that because we're going to get to quality shortly. But I want to talk, I want to I step back because I'm hearing this through line, right? The through line from the grassroots to the grass tops, and it's all driven by student voice and choice, which you've you've spoken so well about. Let's just talk a little bit more about one of the main contributions of intermediaries, which is to facilitate partnerships for summer learning. It's what I call creative matchmaking. Those partnerships can then tackle common barriers and then elevate the quality of summer learning pro- programs, as well as, as focus on engagement, not only bringing young people and their families into programs, but the what and what how you're designing programs to engage and excite young people. Um, this is, this is often perceived as daunting by, by, um, folks that are starting out or more early in their early days. Um, and they're hungry, really hungry for examples. So let's break this down a little bit. Jessica said here, what are some of the benefits of intermediaries and the partnerships they can broker? And how is this playing out in both your respective communities?
2: Well, it's, it's, it is, it is a daunting, task um, when you're talking about building relationships and building um, uh, collaboration. And so I do take a very grassroots approach to that. And a lot of that is let's break bread. Let's let's come together. And uh, I'm going to step back and let you talk because often more often than not, the the community partners and organizations that um, we collaborate with as part of the Dallas City Learning ecosystem is just this like. What are the things that you need that I can hopefully bring to the table and being privileged enough and recognizing the privilege that an organization like Big Thought has to be able to broker those relationships? And so building trust is an essential part of how we are doing that. And sometimes that is just really sitting down, having a cup of coffee with somebody, listening to them and making sure that I'm shifting that power and that privilege in a way that is being mindful for them and being um being a way for them to have a voice. And, you know, we continue to hear that and say that, like whose voice is at the table. And so it's just starting to reduce those barriers of entry just by being there and going to them, not having them come to you, but going to them. And being mindful about that. And that's those are some of the ways that uh I specifically in Dallas have really started to build this ecosystem of learning, we call it. I I like to use the word ecosystems because they are living, they are breathing, they're ever changing, they are expanding, they are contracting. Um, As we saw from COVID, they contracted and now we're ready to expand. We're blooming and we're blossoming. And so it takes a lot of that um, conversation And language understanding to be able to make sure that trust is happening and that um, they are still continuing to be heard.
1: Yeah, in California, I would say the starting place is really how to leverage all the assets, environments and adults in the community to serve the most kids with the best programs. A big part of what Partnership for Children and Youth does is to help school districts realize they don't have to do summer alone. Just like we want our young people to understand you are not alone in this. There are a range of partnerships and adults and um, assets in your community that are ready and willing to help think about how we can provide the best summer experience. And so we advocate for this at all levels, from the funding language and and, and making sure that community-based organizations can be a part of that investment All the way to the classroom and how we staff it and might do blended staffing with both school district employees and community-based organizations. So I think the starting place is really building awareness among parents and students and targeting those students that wouldn't otherwise have access to summer learning programs because of the cost. So we see school districts being very intentional about outreach. So for example, in Davis Unified, they make sure the week before they open up registration Each school comes up with a list of students and they do direct outreach to all those students and all those families and open up registration several weeks earlier for specific families to make sure that they have that opportunity to get into programs. Um, At Rio Elementary, which is a smaller elementary with a high um, population of mixto-speaking families, they specifically partner with community organizations with deep connections. Um, And so they're actually out in the community physically. What do we mean by that? They're at the bus stop talking about summer learning programs. Um, they are running events in the evening talking about community um, programs. What we saw last summer too is mental health services and counseling really increase. And so how do we facilitate that is you see either communities partnering specifically with um community and regional health organizations, such as Klamath Trinity Joint Unified. They partnered with their tribal mental health wellness organization, who has cultural values that are really embedded in the community. And they didn't just serve the students and the families, they're also serving staff. So I I want to highlight that what we saw last summer is um, how are we providing wellness services also to our staff? And how do we build out... A, we work specifically to show a range of different schedules that um, programs can use to ensure that staff are getting the breaks they need, they're getting the the support and professional development they need as well. So those are just a few examples. We see a lot more school districts in, investing in, you know, one-on-one outreach um, and with a diverse set of different um, communities.
0: Yeah i love I love those those uh, examples, and I'm just even reflecting on I know that Big thought had a community provider that that uh, taught mariachi as as part of the enrichment, right? So they're a yes. robust academic in the morning, and then mariachi, what what more is like culturally re- relevant, responsive, activating your community um, elders to bring this incredible art form. So it's just it's tackling so many different things and integrating so much. We know in our field and in, in many, many fields and, and many of the human service fields, we're facing a number of common challenges. And they're not. And t- transportation is huge. And also um, we're, we're facing a lot of staffing challenges. So I'm just wondering, you know, maybe you can kick us off, said he, and just share how the Summer of Learning Partners in your communities are coming to, t- together to address these challenges this summer.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, Kind of to what Jessica was mentioning earlier about this blended staffing with community partners. And so saying to um, the schools, like, you don't have to do this by yourself, right? We have skilled learning professionals here. But in that, it's also recognizing that just because they don't have a bachelor's or master's in education, quote unquote, um, they are still educators, they are still practitioners of education. And so when they recognize that the programs that they are providing is skills building, is giving the tools necessary for success, um, then they are able to, you know, add capacity to their classroom, quote unquote, add capacity to their staff. Um, and then we're also encouraging, uh, and I know that Jessica has, has said this uh, before, but how are uh, older youth playing a part in that and being part of a um, older youth mentorship in that experience. And that is one way how we're centering youth in the voice of what we're doing. And then making that a capacity build for not only us as Big Thought as an organization, because we do that. We're starting to do that more where we're like, you're 18, 19. um, You do have experiences. Let's leverage your experiences. Let's leverage your knowledge and let's bring that to the table because a younger person can see success in that. Um, and the proximity and age is really a powerful thing that happens in the room when learning is happening. And so we're trying to do that through our partnerships for our community organizations, but also leveraging youth who have the desire or have the passion to be part of another child's learning experience as is, is another way of how we're kind of starting to um, lessen that gap when it comes to um adding professionals in the room for learning?
1: Before I jump into challenges, I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about choice. And I wanted to mention that choice, we saw choice being the secret sauce of summer last year, and and that cuts across all. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about giving families a choice. Do I feel comfortable in virtual or do I want something in person? That's giving students choice. We saw a lot of school districts letting kids pick which enrichment they wanted and they got a different opportunity each week. How did they recruit teachers to be in their program? Choice. What do you want to teach? What are you passionate about? Right. So for the first time, I saw choice, not just about um, an empowerment strategy for young people, but really for adults as well. How do we let the adults that are working in these programs or serving in these programs also have choice and give families choice? So I wanted to just start there because I, I that was like one of the silver bullets we saw last summer was choice. And it cut across, again, operations to programming, um, So I'll start with staffing because it's our number one challenge and it's our responsibility as an intermediary to identify best practices and share them widely. Administrators and staff are so hungry for ideas, but they don't have the bandwidth to seek seek them out and know what's going on. So that's really where we see our role is to share that and then even, you know, facilitate peer learning where needed. So this last summer, um, We saw Los Angeles Unified, the city of L.A., and a local intermediary co-host and advertise job fairs, right? So they were collectively looking for staff across different agencies. It wasn't just each program for themselves. In summer 2021, um, both in Sacramento and Elk Grove, they hired high school students to staff uh, summer programs, And this was so well received that we see it's really growing. And we actually created a fact sheet on how do you pay students because there is a lot of nuance to it. And so when you're working with school districts and um, community based organizations, sometimes you need to break that step down one by one. And that's where we step in. Um, In Monterey uh, last summer, we saw unions and administrators coming to the table, working together to modify job descriptions. So they could maximize all staff, right? So the bus driver could be serving in the classroom and vice versa, because all these staff wanted to be there serving students. So we, we've seen people, again, shift the rules about staffing just to make it work for students.
0: So, I mean, I'm just loving this expansive view of staffing in the midst of this crisis because there's really a lot of opportunity. Uh, there are dual benefit program approaches. And so it's it's leveraging the, the older youth who are creative and energized and energetic and need workforce development to come in and be providers and support and in many cases linked and connected with credential teachers who, are, who might be doing the, the academic piece during the, during the day and, and that marriage um, you know, and just even thinking about what families need and being responsive to families. You know, we know that partnerships are beneficial. We've been talking about it and you live and breathe it. Um, this is something that you've both dedicated your careers to, but it's not that easy, right? And and we know that it's a lot more than... Um, you know, maybe signing a piece of paper on the dotted line, can you just talk about what it really means to build effective partnerships and the concrete steps that you say you you have seen communities take to uh, really manifest the the best opportunities and benefits of partnership?
1: I would say, Partnership takes time and energy. And so you need to staff that way. So what we've seen for far too often is kind of like the partnership piece is just a footnote on your job rather than a core responsibility. And so we've seen many school districts for the summer specifically hire someone. And sometimes it was a principal who was retired who really had a lot of relationships in the community serve as the liaison for all community partners. And so what I would say is you need to have a dedicated staff member and there needs to be someone with passion and interest in that area. Um, we've also seen um, a regional approach. And so these community foundations and other community partners can really be the relationship And the glue um, between kind of school districts that are sometimes, you know, overworked. So um, I think they play a fundamental role. So a lot of times you want these intermediaries that have relationships with both. What's also really important to trust in this partnership building is reflection, right? So last summer, I, I knew people that brought in 20 different partners and they said, that's too much. It's too much for the students. It's too much for coordinating. And so we're going to go back to the drawing board and do something a little different this summer. So I would say just a fundamental piece of this partnership is also at the end of the summer during the school year, let's reflect on together what worked and what didn't work. Like any relationship, there's it can be bumpy. So it's more about keeping young people and the programs at the center, and then also providing that time and space to reflect on what's working and what's not.
2: Yeah, I really love what you said there about that reflection, because, you know, here at Big Thought, that is a large part of what social and emotional learning is and practices are, right, is the reflection in this. And so if a partner doesn't know what they are needing to grow in, um, how can they become better or how can they really be mindful about the programming that they're delivering? That said, uh, a lot of the things, the way I approach it, and the the way we start to build the relationships here is, as I mentioned earlier, at the beginning of this is breaking bread, um, letting them have a voice and hearing from them and seeing how I can't leverage the resources that Big Thought has and the relationship that Big Thought has to bring to the table for them. And another thing in that, uh, you know, I also mentioned the whole child, the whole year. And so when we're that is another relationship that we need to be mindful of when we're building these um, collaboration, these partnerships. And so understanding that a one and done attitude is not the way we need to work, is not the way we need to build a relationship. How can we continue to cultivate that by going back to the uh, communities, by going back to youth? Um, because not for nothing, If we're going to have real talk here, you know, there are a lot of abandonment issues in marginalized communities. And so they're not going to build trust and they're not going to build the trust enough to be able to learn something and succeed if you're just going to be there one day and then gone the next and never come back again. And so making sure that you're being intentional about your longevity is another way of how we're starting to build and understand effective partnerships when it comes to this kind of Community engagement, this ecosystem building. And so for me, that is how we've really started to expand and solidify what Dallas City of Learning, uh, the Dallas City of Learning Initiative under Big Thought is, is this making sure that we are continuing to go back into these communities year after year, summer after summer, now, you know, the whole year, the whole child, and being mindful of that. Because we don't want just to go in and go out and not come back again, because that can be traumatizing, to be perfectly honest.
0: Right. And, and I know that, you know, each of your organizations, I mean, you have that convening role. So it's convening all of the partners and, and you mm-hmm. know that your partners have been extremely stressed and stretched beyond humanly possible in the last few years. So it's, it's also giving them tools in their hand. Those reflection activities, what I've seen, from interacting with you, is you have very you have codified systems where you have tools that support reflection and feedback and help partners improve also, so that that they're getting better year after year in terms of the kinds of services they're providing and how they're meeting young people where they are. I want to also go back and just talk a little bit on how you make connections with smaller providers and medium-sized providers to different sources of funding, so you can bring them to the table.
2: I mean, so the work that um, I do within learning systems at Big Thought, we actually have a small um, kind of we I don't want to say micro grant, but, you know, um, I have a pretty decent budget to give to um, our partners to be able to add capacity because, you know, we know they can't do the things without money. Right. And so in that idea is trying to break down um, and reimagine what funding processes look like. Um, in the same respect, in the same realm, letting them know what the tricks of the trade are. Because a lot of the organizations that I work with and collaborate with, it's one person who's doing the fundraising. It's one person who's doing the marketing. So they don't have the capacity. And so what we try to do is then, as as a partnership within Dallas City of Learning, they get data that they can use, that they don't have to do their own. Um, Because that's also a lot to to deal with and so just giving them basic um skills to understand what a grant could be like and introducing them to grants um introducing them to the processes of um city grants uh, that are out there for a to, because a lot of them don't know that there is money out there to be had and so big thought is it privileged enough to be able to say hey this Foundation is giving away small micro grants. You know, here's what Communities Foundation here in Texas is doing. And we want to be able to say, okay, let's set aside what we call lunch and learns, professional learning to fill out that application, to be able to do that for them. And so making sure that we're giving them these kind of professional learning opportunities so that they have success. But we are also in the same respect um, trying to reimagine what funding can be and then actually taking that to larger funding institutions and say, you know, just because they don't have X, Y data that we've always typically asked for doesn't mean that they're doing good work. Let's look at the cultural relevancy of what they're doing. That's what's the impact. And so having that conversation with major funders is also part of how we're kind of helping reimagine funding processes to allow a smaller organization to get a piece of that pie.
1: Yeah, I would just add a partnership for children and youth. One is this translation of, of what are all the funding opportunities and what do they mean and what do they come with? And I think a trend that we've seen in California, at least, and I think you see this with the federal stimulus dollars, is a lot more flexibility um, to really uh, adapt to local communities. And so what we've seen is some of our um, system actors are, are so used to outcomes and outputs and this rigidity when it comes to funding that they they they're limited in what they can see and create for young people. So I think a big push here in California has been start with what young people and families and communities need and build from there. If you're doing the right thing, the funding will come and it will be okay. We will help you on the back end as needed as long as you're doing right by students. And so it's it's been really about facilitating learning opportunities between school districts and community partners to reimagine how we can use public resources that aren't just about in Increasing test scores, particularly, I, I mean, a benefit of the pandemic has been getting students outside, and so we've seen huge expansion in outdoor education this year. Los Angeles Unified is partnering um, with an intermediary and in the city, and they're going to bring one field trip to every single student. We're talking tens of thousands um, of field trips and young people, so they see that as a core value now—having a field trip for every student—and so that, you know that's the work that we're doing, and again. Public funds are being used to do this, and it's it's the right thing to do. And with this funding, that that's what the money is there for is to expand uh, the imagination and dreams of, of young people, and, and bring them what we want for all of our children.
0: Yeah, well, those are those are all fantastic. I mean, this is such, such a rich conversation, and so many examples that you have shared. Sergio and Jessica, I'm just wondering, in the interest of really providing even more concrete examples, if you can just share some of those examples of collaborative learning models that you have supported that have produced really invigorating and intentional summer learning programming.
2: Yeah, so um, there is a partner here that is really intentional about their summer internships, their youth internships. And so it's starting from the youth's strength and asset space. What are they passionate about? And so they were able to create this DJ workshop where the kids, um, the student intern collaborated with the, the adult educator to build this workshop out. And so at the very end, the youth that were taking the workshop from this youth leader created these sick beats for a dance party. And so at the end of it, it was more about this enjoyment of music, which is a community thing, it's a culturally relevant thing, the youth leader was able to learn how to structure something, was very passionate about the teaching that they were doing because it was coming from their strength space and from their knowledge base. And so this kind of intentional creation of programming and learning happening with youth leaders and adults is kind of one of the examples of how we are moving in this summer learning space.
1: I love that you asked about collaborative learning models because I would say – you know, not only are students fe- feeling isolated, but far too often we we isolate teachers in their classroom. And so what we see in the summer is all the way from when we're designing the program is we're bringing staff from a variety of different agencies and organizations under one umbrella and having shared training. So first is just how we use shared language and shared understanding. And then that can trickle down to kind of a site where a teacher might be mentoring uh, a variety of youth workers and helping them create the schedule. So the teachers maybe not in the classroom teaching, but they're mentoring and building the capacity of other workers. And, you know, going even deeper, we've seen places such as Gilroy Unified where they're partnering their certified teachers with the YMCA staff because they needed more adults serving kids and providing that one-on-one connection. And so they're co-creating in the classroom together. And so the teacher is building capacity of the youth worker to do kind of deep intervention work with small groups of students on literacy and other issues. And the youth worker is helping the teacher learn new games, new songs, um, bringing play into the classroom. And so at the end of the summer, when we interview these teachers, they talk about, you know, this is why I got into teaching. So I think it really, you know, again, it, it's this joy that summer brings and really that we're in it together as Surhia was talking about. It's about community building um, that goes outside of any classroom time or uh, physical classroom boundary.
2: Yeah. And if I could just quickly add also, it's all about that trust building, right? And if you're trusting what is being taught, you can trust to learn it and retain it. And so that is where we're really starting to see learning and retention happen.
0: Wow. I think you've encapsulated the beauty of summer learning, really, of that inspiration. I wanna thank you, Sergio and Jessica, for your time, your leadership, your vision, and and what you have done for your respective communities because it is powerful and transformative. I also wanna thank our listeners for joining us as well. And if you wanna learn more about research on summer learning, and that includes more on Big Thought and, and Partnership for Children and Youth, you can go to Wallace's website and find reports on a variety of topics a summer planning kit and other resources at wallacefoundation.org. This has been a wonderful time and we thank you and wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Happy summer. (laughs) Thank you. Happy summer.